Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to this week's play-by-play of the Hang Time Podcast. Backing down a lefty hook, breaks it in! With your host, Elliot Anderson, stop it down behind his head. Seku Smith, the tipping is good at the buzzer. And Vince Thomas. Slices across the lane, puts up a hook on the run. No, but a dynamite stick back slam. Now it's time for the tip up. Hang time podcast. Coming to you live from smoggy, soggy Southern California on my end. Vince Thomas, I know you're in Atlanta. This is Sekou Smith from the Hangtime blog at NBA.com. VT, was that old song about it never raining in Southern California? <laughs> what? It's a big fat lie. What happened? I mean, the last time I was in, that, but to make you feel a little bit better, the last time I was in um, uh, L.A., it rained a couple days too. You know what I mean? But I, 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 know, I know you were heading out there thinking you were going to be Chilling on the beach, you know, and and, and and whatnot, and and it's out there, like uh, like it's London or Seattle well, or something. I, I, actually, I, I came out here to work. I mean, I don't want to get myself in trouble. I, I'm first, I'm out here to work, but I wasn't. Is that why you're out sunshine. there? You're out there to yeah, work, man. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, I thought. You know, but I, I brought some shorts. You know, I mean, I did bring some <laughs> recreational clothing. Uh, but it's not going to get a workout today. It's it's, it's nasty out here um, today. I'm you, stunned. You know you wanted to go out there and forget the Lakers. You wanted to go out to Santa Monica Pier and drink some Shirley Temples, man. Come on. Shirley Temples. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to love this couple. You got to love this Thomas, people. I don't care what you say. You got to love this cat. So, so what's, I, I, now, I know I'm included. Are you included in this package deal with uh, LeBron and Cal? They, like, yeah, I'm. You, I'm you in it too? Yeah, yeah, I'm going. Okay, yeah. I'm, uh, they need a hype man, so I'm. I figure I go be the hype man. I think. I think. And, I, uh, I think I'm gonna be the one uh, washing the uh, the dirty jerseys. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only way. That's the only way I could get in on it. That's classic stuff. That's only in America, baby. Only in America. Um, well, you. I mean, obviously, we, we won't be discussing LeBron today now that he's no longer a part of the uh, the NBA plan. May discuss him otherwise, but conference finals in full swing, man. You know, big game, obviously in Orlando uh, yesterday. The the Boston Celtics it's probably surprising a lot of people in in the way they took the Magic apart early in that game, got up big. Um, but but the Magic showed you a little something out of Magic coming back, or or were you still not impressed? Uh, that that's good. That's that's a tough series, man. It's gonna. I can see. Um, I can see a couple games where Boston gives up the lead down the end. They like to do that, um, and I'm glad. I'm actually glad that Orlando ended up making it a game. I, you know, it would have been sort of whack if Game One here comes Boston rolling over Atla- Orlando um, in in the Game One there um, at home. So you, you know, they they made it. They made it a game, and it's a series. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I I know it looks. Strange to me on television watching it, watching them get down big like that. But I, I know we had somebody down there, uh, courtside watching it. Sean Powell, NBA.com's finest, uh, was there keeping up with the action in person. And uh, let's see him on here and see what he thought about it. Sean, how you doing? Hello. Um, you, are you still uh, still scratching your head over that game one performance by the Magic, or or were you not surprised by that? Well, I figured they couldn't keep winning. 
uh, at some point or another, it, it had to catch up with them. Uh, I was just a little bit surprised on how they lost the game. I mean, how many players, how many teams are going to, you know, have the guts to play Dwight Howard straight up? You know, unless Boston's bringing Bill Russell back, uh, <laughs> you know, that, that that's just not going to happen. But the way they were able to successfully basically, you know, guard him for the most part one-on-one, Every now and then they would run somebody over there, but for the most part, one-on-one. And now all of a sudden, you know, Jameer Nelson is not open for the three-point shot. Rashard Lewis is not open for the three-point shot. Even even when he was open, he missed. Uh, all of a sudden, the things that I didn't see in the Charlotte series, the things that I didn't see in the Atlanta series, I saw this happen to Orlando yesterday. I was a witness. <laughs> Sean, you know, you, you bring up the point about – uh, Boston just going at it with, with single coverage. And, you know, I, I'm of the thinking where if you have somebody that knows how to play interior defense and post defense, you absolutely can check Dwight Howard with with one man because it's not like he's breaking out Hakeem Olajuwon moves. And it, it made me think about the conversation that we had, you know, a while a, a while back where you were saying how a lot of the young, especially young big men, you you think that they just don't work on their games, and that's why we don't have a lot of skilled post players. See, I would put Howard in 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 that in that category. Well, uh, most of the post players, you have to understand, these guys they hit the genetic lottery. You know, they're born six eleven, seven foot, seven one, blessed with a good body and some athleticism, and all of a sudden, the NBA or major colleges number one is giving a scholarship. And the NBA says, hey, man, we just want you because you're big. We can't teach that, obviously. And we're going to give you $10 million a year. And all of a sudden, guys feel like, hey, I don't have to work on my game. Look, look at Michael Oluwakandi. Here's a guy who came in the NBA blessed with an unbelievable body. Okay, number one pick overall, lavished with money and, every, and everything that the NBA lifestyle could give him. He didn't work on his game anymore. And then all of a sudden, you know, he became a role player. My thing with big men is that sometimes because they are just awarded, I mean, the red carpet is laid out for them because of their size and their athleticism, that they feel that it's just okay for them to just only get to a certain point because they're going to make money. They're, they're rich anyway. They're going to make money anyway. You know, and, and, and they're going to be guaranteed a 10, 15-year NBA career anyway. Yeah. Okay? Mm-hmm. And I feel that, you know, for some guys, they feel that, you know, they're hard workers behind them, and now from here they can go on and skate. Is that is that what you see with Dwight Howard, though? I guess is the is the question. Oh no, I don't see that. Actually, I don't. I, I don't see that with Dwight. See, the one thing Dwight Howard lacks is a money move. He doesn't have a go-to move. I mean, you know, usually, you know, if you look at Kareem, obviously he had the sky hook. You know, Dream had the shake. You know, these guys had a move that would bail them out of tough situations. And Dwight doesn't have that yet, but he's still young, you know, so maybe at one point he'll develop it. He doesn't have a good mid-range jumper, really doesn't have a good face-to-basket ability. And, you know, that's one thing that Patrick Ewing is trying to instill. You know, when Ewing came out of Georgetown, he had no offensive game. He made himself into an offensive player. And all of a sudden, his offense was better than his defense in the NBA. Whether that happens with Dwight Howard, I don't know. We'll see. He's still young. Uh, but Dwight really needs to learn how to develop more of a game off the dribble, nice mid-range jump shot, and all of a sudden he can escape a lot of those double teams. Mm-hmm. Well, I promise you this, Sean. We will not be talking about Michael Oluwakandi on the Hang Time Podcast ever again. So. <laughs> hey, yeah, I, I figured I shocked you with, with throwing that name out there. Yeah, you, I, I applaud you for even bringing him up because I had forgotten the man even played basketball, but that is his first and last mention here forever. <laughs> but, you know, Sean, let me ask you a question about this series specifically. And, you know, with all the stuff that's going on about LeBron and some of these other guys, the one, the one guy who's really struck me throughout these playoffs is really rekindling something that, that I thought was lost for good is Kevin Garnett. And mm-hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, but is he – is his health back in order now and his game back on the top shelf in terms of just that baseline jumper and that face-up game he has and the ability to dominate guys 
who just can't match his length. Is, is he back to the Kevin Garnett we saw a couple of years ago? Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, he, he's not back to the Kevin Garnett of Minnesota because, uh, you know, it's funny. It was, a one, it was mo- one moment there where he got the ball down low, and he kind of short-armed his, uh, his layup because he, he saw Dwight Howard there. Now, that would never happen to a Kevin Garnett in Minnesota, so he's not there. But just of a couple years ago, I think the difference now with Kevin Garnett now versus a couple years ago is that he's healthy. I think the mentality is still there. I think the pride, obviously, is still there. I think that, you know, he only knows one way to play, but he, you know, last year he couldn't play that way, and for half of this year he couldn't play that way. I don't know where he went out and got himself a new knee. They'll say, does he have your knee? You know, where all of a sudden did he get these good body parts? Because he didn't have it for a good while, and you figure that, if anything, if, if anything, getting this far in the regular season and now in the postseason would do him more harm than good. So I just don't understand why the guy all of a sudden got a clean bill of health. And I really want to know who gave it to him because in about 15 years, I need to see that person. <laughs> you know, no, he got he got it like on the black market. I think he I think he got it somewhere in like um, um, on Canal Street in New York City or something. He went and copped the new knee. But you, I, I think, I think not only is it good to see um, KG his production back, but I think he, I, I mean, I'm never, I don't think he ever lost his confidence. But some of that swagger um, that he that he had, especially when he first uh, came to Boston, you didn't see that earlier in the year, and I think that's back now. And I think that championship culture is now back with Boston. That's a that's a team of men all all down the line. Um, and, and, and Doc is, and we can include Doc there. And I think that when I look at the the way Boston matches up with Orlando, it's not just a talent issue uh, to me. It's a mentality. Um, it's a mentality thing as well. And I think Boston just looks prime to continue to advance. Yeah. And, and by the way, um, well, first of all, I think first and foremost, KG's health really brought that confidence back. But you know what? Absolutely. I think also gave, gave him a little bit more confidence. I think Rondo gave him some confidence. You know, all of a sudden now, KG doesn't necessarily have to create his own shot. You know, he's, right. he, you know, he doesn't have to break his man down and do this. Do he basically just has to have a pair of good hands, mm-hmm. you know, because Rondo's going to find him and give him easier shots to make. So all of a sudden now, you know, you're getting some nice inside feeds and ha- making easy baskets. Man, that does wonders for your confidence up there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Sean, I was stunned at how many easy looks the Celtics got early. Just from a simple Rondo starting in the lane, faking like he's going to pass it one way and kicking it back the other. I mean, Orlando seemed almost – they didn't seem prepared for, for what Rondo was bringing. And, and the Celtics have played a ton of games. The Magic haven't played but eight. Surely they were expecting what, what Rondo brought to the table in game one. You know, and that's a great point you just brought up because – you got to remember, now, Orlando's been sitting at home watching the playoffs like the rest of us. Mm-hmm. You know, as a matter of fact, I don't even think Orlando has played in the playoffs. Ha- have they? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> they, ha- they, def- they haven't played a, a, a playoff caliber team, I can tell you that. <laughs> you, you know, I, I, I think the playoffs just – so, anyway, they've been sitting at home. So, now, you actually got to work while you're sitting at home, taking notes, right. you know, seeing things. You saw Rondo the way the guy played in Cleveland. You knew what was coming, all right? And um, I, I think, having said that, I think for the most part yesterday, Rondo really didn't hurt them all that much. He was kind of neutralized to an extent with Jameer Nelson. They basically kind of neutralized each other. And right. apart, apart from the first three or four minutes of the second half, when Jameer started knocking down jumpers, I really didn't get that much of an impact from either player. I'm not saying that they didn't you know, help at all. I'm just saying I really didn't feel that kind of impact from either player. I, from here on, I can see a game where Jameer just has an outstanding game, and I can see a, a situation where Rondo has an outstanding game. These are two guys that came in the draft in the middle of the first round. People would, didn't buy into them. They were the fourth point guard taken in their respective drafts. And all of a sudden, these two guys are, with, you know, with all due respect to Steve Nash, these two guys are probably the best point guards on the floor right now. And, but and, and you know what though, Sean, I think that I can see um, Rondo obviously having 
more breakout games than Jameer, not just because I think Rondo's a better point guard, but because Rondo has the ability on the other end to disrupt Jameer. Yeah. Um, so so not, o- not only can Rondo do his thing running his team, but then he can, because he's such a, a, a defensive stalwart, so to speak, he can go on the other end and, you know, as, as well as possible, make sure that Jameer doesn't break out and have any 25, 30-point games, which we know he's capable of. And, and, that, and that's why, you know, I, they, these two teams played in the semis last year. I, I think you, have to, you, you would have to say that Boston – is the more improved team if you're going to look if you're going to look at you know who's going to come out of this series because it went to seven games last year I think Boston is playing significantly better basketball right now than they were last year I don't know if I can say that about Orlando because as soon as they were tested because they haven't been tested yet as soon as they were tested they coughed up an egg Right. Well, I think Boston is better in that they're healthier, and I also think Rondo is just a little bit better this year than he was last year, although I thought he was pretty good last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rondo, can, Rondo can do more things than Jameer. I mean, mm-hmm. Rondo's an excellent rebounder. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's not afraid to go in there and grab the ball in traffic, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does bring a little bit more to the table on defense in terms of steals. i got to give Jameer credit. He's pretty good guarding the man straight up. But the one equalizer, and I'm not dismissing Rondo in this sense. I'm not saying he doesn't have this. But the one thing in Jameer's favor is that he is just tough, man. He, he is. He, he, mm-hmm. he, 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 don't, he doesn't back down to anyone or any situation. You know, the guy will take big shots. Uh, you know, and, and the, you know that's one thing in his favor. Like I said, I think the two kind of offset each other. I don't see one player, you know, being that much more superior than the other. Um, you know, it's really going to come down to what their teammates do, you know, to kind of help them if, if, if they have an off game and whether there's a teammate or two around to pick up the slack. Yeah. Well, Sean, I don't, I'm not, I don't want to press you for predictions after one game because it's too easy to, to jump, you know, from one side of the fence to the other. But do you see this thing going six, seven games? I mean, is this a, is this a six, seven game series we're looking at? Uh, oh yeah, I think so. Uh, I, you, you know, it's funny when these series all start. You know, one team will win, and all of a sudden, you know, the the, the media focus, the blog focus, the fan focus is, you know, all it's always that the team that lost is just the sense of gloom and doom. Right. Uh, Orlando's a good team. I mean, you just don't sweep two teams by accident. And you know, they've shown all year that they can play. They beat the Celtics three out of four, three out of four this year. So, yeah, I can definitely see this thing going six or seven games. I still think Orlando will probably have it up to win it. They'll find a way, I, I do think, to win it. Um, but, you know, I could be wrong. I mean, look at the way Rasheed Wallace all of a sudden is playing. Who would have thought that, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, KG not breaking down. Ray Allen. Ray Allen right now, guys, he's having a terrific postseason. I mean, uh, here's a guy, everyone talks about the free agent class and Where's LeBron gone and, you know, you know, D-Wade and all that. Ray Allen is showing people that he can still play. And, you know, it's funny. I was talking to him today, and he, he talked about – by the way, this is the way players should approach the NBA. Ray Allen, when he came into the league, he said, you know what, I, didn't dr- I never drank, never smoked. I got my rest. I ate right. Didn't go to all those fried foods that Seku eats and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, he, he, you know he, he he took care of his body mm-hmm. from day one, and his goal is to be a forty-year-old shooting guard. Mm-hmm. You know, right. uh, and I tell you what, he's well on his way. I mean, this is a guy who really knew how to approach the NBA and his career. And how many young guys coming in 20 years old and, you know, they feel they, you know, they own the world. How many young guys have the maturity and the wherewithal to approach their career in such a long-term view? I mean, they, they, they see the short-term benefits. Mm-hmm. They're not thinking about their bodies breaking down, you know. But, but Ray Allen thought about this when he first came in the league. And look at him now. He's playing good ball. I think he wants to come back to Boston um, next year. Obviously, he'll take a pay cut. His dad's making nineteen million. He's got to take a pay cut. Mm-hmm. Um, but I tell you what, if someone else were to come in, he could help that team—a good team, not a bad team. But he could—he he could be a difference maker on a good team. Yeah, and he's a, and he's a champion. But you know, I—I I, got to say, I'm—I am a little upset because 
my favorite part or my favorite uh instance in last year's Boston Orlando series was when Rafer smacked Eddie House upside the head and knocked knocked his knocked his headband all off, you know, was covering his eyes. I mean, <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm not Rafer's gone, Eddie House is gone. I I'm wondering who's going to be that guy to smack somebody upside the head. I mean, I need at least one time for somebody to get smacked upside the back of the head. <laughs> we well, yeah, Matt Barnes. I mean, we got a couple of loose cannons, don't we, Sean? We got Matt Barnes. We got Rasheed. We got you know, we got a couple of loose cannons in this series. I got to go. You know what? And you, you know, Rasheed, Rashid, by the way, is uh, he, he being playful. And you know what? He talked today for like 30 minutes. I was shocked. Wow. I mean, you know, for, for him, that's like three hours. <laughs> and, 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 and hold it. And throughout the conversation, he did not utter these immortal words. They play hard. Yeah, both teams play hard. Yeah, both teams play hard. Exactly. <laughs> well, he was. Shut he up. was no, I was going to say, ahead, he I'm was sorry. actually conversational, and um, Rashid is going to get under uh, Dwight's skin. Absolutely. That's what, he's going to, that's what he's out there for. That's his purpose. He's, you know, he, he's an old-school player. He's got all the old-school tricks, you know. He, you know he, um, he knows what the referees are looking for because, obviously, he's got such a great relationship with the referees. <laughs> and so, you know, he, he's going to do anything and everything to kind of throw Dwight off his game, get him a little annoyed, things like that. It worked in game one, mm-hmm. so maybe Dwight wises up in game two. We'll see. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, I don't think there's a, there's a lightning rod in this series. Uh, you know, I, I, Paul Pierce, KG, Ray Allen, those guys are, you know. I, I mean, Matt Barnes, even Matt Barnes, other than getting in Kobe's face, we really haven't seen, you know, that much from him, him either. Well, it's, it's going to be a good series. And after watching Orlando demolish, you know, a couple of teams early, I just want good basketball. So I'm glad we're going to see some good yeah. quality basketball in the conference final round. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that'll be good because I'm going to tell you now, man, you know, you guys have been exposed to some good basketball. I had to sit through the Bobcats and the Hawks, and, you know, that was, <laughs> that was tough on me, man. And, by the way, I didn't get any, any, any kind of cards of condolences or anything from any of you guys. You know, you know I'm taking offense to that it now. Was, it, hold, it, Sean, it wasn't worse than the Orlando-Atlanta series. I had to I, I had to sit through two of the worst games. And I, I, excuse me, I was at every Hawks playoff game, which means that I have watched far worse basketball than any of you have watched this playoff season. Well, yeah. I listen, I'm – I'll make, I'm going to make it up to you, Sean. I'm going to take you out to Gladys and Ron's and let you dine on some of that nasty fried food when I get back to Atlanta. <laughs> get Ray Allen and Mr. Fitness and the rest of these cats, man. I'm going out like Ola with Andy. I'm going out with a bang. Chicken and waffles, baby. You know what I mean? So, listen, Sean Powell from NBA.com, we thank you so much for joining us, Sean. And hopefully you get to watch six, seven good games of basketball, and then we see you at the finals, man. We get you recuperated from that nastiness you had to watch early in the playoffs. And that'd be nice, man. Anytime, guys. All right, Sean. Thank you so much. All right. Vince, he, he brought up a great point, Vince, um, you know, and something that I think a lot of people forgot about. You, when you get to this level of the playoffs, mm-hmm. you know, you wonder why, why, would, why would the Celtics go out and pay Rasheed all that money? And if it, You get what you pay for from, from veterans at moments like this. It's like, you know, Ray Allen's overpaid to a lot of people in $19 million. Yeah. But if you look at what Ray Allen has done in the three years, you know, or the two plus, almost three years, I guess now he's been in the Celtics uniform. He's delivered, man. I mean, mm-hmm. these guys deliver at big moments. And I was watching Ray Allen go to the basket yesterday in Game One and thinking to myself, man, when is the last time Ray Allen did this repeatedly, like going to the cup, Jesus yeah. Shuttlesworth style, you know, finishing? Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean it's, you get what you pay for sometimes. And you and, and you know, again, I I think Ray was obviously instrumental in helping to establish the culture that's over there at Boston now too. So it's not just, you know, what, what he's done on the court is, is it's everything else. That's that's a, it's a championship team. And I think that even when you look at somebody like she, he said himself that, you, you know, now is, is, is what he came here for. Um, right. And, you know, we can, you know, we can wag our finger at maybe him not giving his best efforts throughout the season. Um, but look, man, Boston is Boston is is at where they wanted to be at, and that's large. Imp- that you can you know thank people like Ray Allen, even though he's thirty. I think what is he thirty five? Um, you know, yeah, he's, he's Rash- Rashid's thirty five. You have all these fourteen, fifteen year veteran guys that are playing championship basketball. Um, 
they're playing better basketball right now, say, than I think any team in the league is. You'd have to say that, right? Yeah, I mean, they, they just beat the team that was playing arguably the best. And I guess the, the Suns could lay claim to that as well. But they did lose a couple games in the first round. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're playing as well as anybody could expect them to play and probably better. You know, um, I've been taking heat from the Celtics fans and the Magic fans, believe it or not. I, early in the year, you know, I was, I was writing a obit for the Celts when they looked like they were, you know, mm-hmm. bold and done. You know, and they were struggling during the regular season. So, you know, all those Celtics fans, they remember that, have, have come back around on the hang time blog and made sure to remind me of my, my changing tune. But uh, I mentioned something last week on the blog about Orlando having all that downtime, and it reminded me of what Cleveland did last year, sweeping a couple teams early. Right. You know, having a lot of dead space in between series. And then they got, you know, Cleveland got into that conference final matchup with Orlando and couldn't they couldn't uh, step up to the challenge. Didn't and I had a feeling the same mm-hmm. thing was going to happen to the Magic this year. Mm-hmm. It's almost it's like it's it's like Cleveland it's like uh, Cleveland and then I guess yesterday Orlando they didn't know they forgot what tough basketball was about you know you know what I mean like when you can yeah, yeah. when you can just run roughshod over the Hawks you know for if in four straight games and now now you come and and you also have a week off and then you're playing against a team that is clicking on all cylinders playing championship caliber basketball I, yeah maybe it took them a game. To, to get their championship legs, you know, back. But you saw it happen in the fourth quarter. You know what I mean? So I, yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't think we're going to see uh, a repeat of what happened last year with, uh, with, with the way Orlando um, sort of took Cleveland by surprise. I think, I think that this is going to be a long, tough series. That's, that's just what I – that's the way I'm feeling right now, you know? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I'm with you. I, I just, I just think it's really invited, man. Uh, really uh, interesting to see how different things can go from one round to the next in these playoffs. You know, I remember how uh, you know you weren't really feeling the Suns early, and then they they've kind of charged their way into the conference finals. Have you changed your no. your ideas about them at all? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Still not respecting them. Nope. Right. I think I, I I think they're gonna get handled. Now watch them go and sweep LA, right? What if they went and they swept the Lakers and I'm sitting up here so confident thinking that they're gonna get handled. But no, nah, I'm you know, the, the the Suns have to show me something first. They really they, they didn't show me anything yet. So well, if they win game one out here tonight, will you be as impressed with them as you are with the Celtics maybe? I'll be flip flopping and changing my tune, absolutely. Yes, I, I like that in you, Vince. I you know, like that in you. You know, I have uh, no, I have no, I have no, uh, no qualm with you know being a whack, with, with being a whack dude. You know, I'm a sucker. <laughs> That's just what I am, man. I'm a sucker in all in all areas of life. You know. I feel you. Hey, listen, no shame in that. I, I, I've ridden on that bus with you several times, so <laughs> it's all good. You know, and Sean brought up a great point about these players. You know, coming in with the right mindset as youngsters. You know, Ray Allen trying to be a 40 year old shooting guard, which you know, I think Reggie Miller is about got you know got last acronym he got as close as you could to playing at a high level in your late 30s. You know, at that position, mm-hmm. um, he's probably the last guy I remember playing. You know, as a starter, and, and even he trailed off at the end. Like you could see the, the diminishing skills and, and the fact that he just wasn't the same as he was early in his career. And then tomorrow night, the draft, the, the draft lottery. You know, we got the draft lottery and. Uh, you know, so those same players that Sean was talking about, they need to listen to Ray Allen that are coming into the league and approach it the right way. You know, I'm, I'll be real interested to see how this thing breaks down. You know, obviously we don't know who's going to have the number one pick yet, but we know who the names are kind of tossed around with those high picks. And I'm curious to see how those young guys enter the league, you know, in terms of what type of mindset they have about their careers. Yeah, well, I mean, that's why we got the draft guru. Isn't Scott like our draft guru? That's right. Scott Howard Cooper, the draft guru himself, is, is joining us. Uh, and he's out here somewhere tooling around in L.A. with me in, in soggy Southern California. Scott, how you doing? I wish it was sunny. I look out my window and we've got overcast. We call Out, out here in, in Los Angeles, we call this the marine layer. Well, the marine layer needs to go back out to sea. <laughs> the marine layer. What's the, the, I need to see sunshine. The marine layer. I don't get that one. Explain that one. That's that's coming off the water. This isn't a fog, and and it's not a smog either. Believe it or not, that's the that's the name for it here. It's a marine layer. Oh, like I got thick, you. It's the thick haze. I got you. You got to understand, Vince. 
Scott Howard Cooper is not just telling you this like like he read it out of the book. This man is born and raised in Southern California. This this is his homeland. I can talk Marine Lair all day long, and I know that will be exciting. <laughs> and I know that will be exciting for the listeners as well. <laughs> well, listen, Sean Powell brought up a great point, Scott. He was just talking about Ray Allen coming into the league and, and you know, and knowing even as a young guy how important it was to treat this as a craft and a career, not just, you know, hey, I'm going to go play ball and, and life is great and I'll worry about everything else later. Do you get the sense that, that that's the, the way a lot of these younger players are coming into the league now, knowing how big of a business it is, knowing that it's a lifetime commitment and not just you play till you, you know, till you burn out and move on? Or, or is it not that kind of endeavor for a lot of these guys? I think it's really mixed. I, I think that that's a great reason why Ray has had such a long career because not only does he have the talent, but he's had the right mindset and he's obviously gone through some difficult times. And if you have that approach and if you have that maturity, that will get you through and get you to a ring and you'll have a very successful run. And I think that there are some guys that come into the league like that. A lot of the guys show up with a great attitude. It's not hard to find that. But unfortunately, it's not hard to find something the other way, which is as soon as a guy is drafted, that's them thinking that they've made it. It's not about a championship. It's not about all-star games. It's about cashing that first paycheck and going and getting the car with, with the rims and, and buying the big house and maybe getting some, some toys for the water and, and everything along those lines. So it is a mix. You're going to see some guys that are going to show up with a great attitude, and you're going to see some guys that are just going to uh, cash out pretty early because they're not ready to bring the focus. Yeah, well, I mean, we're, we're talking about guys who, because because they approach their career, you know, correctly, can can play, you know, well into their 30s. And, you know, you guys are out there right now with not only Steve Nash but Kobe Bryant. You know, I mean, Kobe's only, what, 32. But, you know, once you start hitting 32, you know, uh, some of that athleticism – uh, starts leaving you, you know, body parts start start uh, leaving you, uh, and and you know it can your career uh, can you know leave you very quickly before you before you even know what's going on. And these are two guys that are very meticulous and very stringent about you know how they maintain their body, their diet, and that's why we see them still as two of the better players in the league. You know, at, especially in Steve Nash's case, an advanced age. You know, that's a great point because we've talked about attitude and we've talked about talent, but as you say, it's about conditioning as well, and, and that gets into the focus and, and the dedication. And I was around, I've been around Kobe Bryant since the day he showed up as a 17-year-old, as the day he joined the NBA. And, and I think it's safe to say the same thing about Steve Nash as well, although I haven't as much time around him. These are guys that, that, don't have a job they have a passion mm-hmm. you know they they attack basketball and uh kobe prides himself on being in shape and steve nash not only to play like he has been playing this year at his advanced age but in that system where where you're constantly on the run uh, that's a double testament to steve nash and kobe it's strange to, to say this at this point in this season that he's had the injury problems, but this guy's kept himself in great shape, and that's going to be one of his legacies as well. His dedication, uh, he's got this approach to playing that goes beyond uh, just saying, I want to be in good shape. It is, uh, he, he's a demon worker. Nobody will outwork him. Well, Scott, we're, we're, in the, we're in that weird stretch right now where we have both eyes locked in on the playoffs, the conference finals. But we also have to keep an eyeball out for the draft, which we know is coming, you know, here in June. And I know you're going to spend some time in Chicago at the pre-draft camp. What, what is it that that the front office people you bumped into and talked to the last few weeks? What is it that they're searching for in this draft specifically? And I, I mean, and I mean, is this a savior draft? Like, are there two or three guys in this draft that come in and save your program, or is this a, a superstar draft where we got? People think there's superstar talents available, or is it not as, as hot a draft as maybe we had a couple of years ago, or even this current rookie class looks in retrospect compared to what we thought they might be? I think it's probably two guys up at the top that may fit that save your job class, and then after that, it could be a lot of guys that it's a cost you your job class. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> because there's going to be some tough decisions that have to be made once you get past number one and number two. And uh, how you do uh, in late June will impact a lot about whether you're employed in 2011 or 2012. That, of course, is the same as every season. That's no different. But I think what makes it really interesting is I have some GMs, some executives around the league, telling me that for all the hype that John Wall is getting, and everybody said from the, the start of the college season that this freshman is literally the number one choice, I'm told by some people within the league that there are, as executives talk to each other during the season, that it's not there is a conversation underway that Evan Turner from Ohio State could actually be the number one pick. Mm-hmm. Wow. And that's where it starts to get really interesting. He's more versatile. John Wall, dynamic, uh, fabulous point guard. So those are tougher to find, and another reason why people love him. But let's toss out a couple possibilities. Suppose you're the Utah Jazz and you beat long odds and you get number one in the draft. Okay. Suppose you're uh, New Orleans Hornets and you get number one in the draft. If you have Chris Paul, if you have Darren Williams. Might you be better off taking a guy like Evan Turner, who is much more versatile, you can plug in alongside Chris Paul or Darren Williams and get immediate results now? I think that's the real interesting question uh, going into the lottery and then going into the draft as you move forward is the contrast between John Wall and Evan Turner and also the fact that you have some teams in the lottery that are going to be playing to win now and not so much the young teams that are yeah. going to be building up. Yeah, you know, and that, I was, you know, I'm just looking at, you know, the, the the teams that are in the lottery. That's a re, that's a really interesting point about the the mindset and the approach that maybe some of these teams will be taking. Because you have squads like the Clippers um, or uh, New Orleans, Utah. You know, you have some teams that aren't that far away from being playoff teams, and that that aren't going. I don't think they are going to be approaching Scott. Um, this this draft, you know, as some rebuilding project, you know? There, there's no question. They don't want this to be a long process. We haven't mentioned Houston, but the Rockets Houston, are mm-hmm. at the end of the lottery Memphis. as well. And again, and again, very long odds, but by the same token, everybody believes that if they get a healthy Yao Ming back, and obviously that's a big if, mm-hmm. but if they get a healthy Yao Ming back, this is not a lottery team. So you add a talented player to that, if you even if you add a top three player to the Rockets, things get really interesting. I'll toss one other one out you just for the sake of conversation, which would not be beating long odds. What if the Minnesota Timberwolves get number one? Can they really go point guard again, even if every, <laughs> even if everybody believes that John Wall is the best prospect in the draft? You have Johnny Flynn coming off a pretty good rookie season. You have Ricky Rubio that's had made great improvements over in Europe and will come over at some point. Can they really go John Wall, or is that the interesting case where another team may go Evan Turner at number one? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I don't think that. I don't think Minnesota. I mean, as great of a talent you know um, as John Wall is, I don't really think that there's that much distance between him and Evan Turner. I like Evan Turner actually as as a pro prospect. Well, I'm, not, I'm I, you know. I don't know what to make of a lot of these young these young guys that are going to be in this draft, Scott. Because you know when you when you realize how little of them you've seen after watching the NBA season as hard as we do, and Vince, I know you watch as much college hoops probably as you do NBA hoops. But mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be honest, I don't get a chance to see these guys a ton. I I watch them in their conference tournaments and in the NCAA tournament, and and obviously every now and then you catch them on on TV. Mm-hmm. But I see so many holes, Scott. I see so many holes in John Wall's game as a pro and so many and some of these other prospects, I almost feel like I'm too harsh on some of these guys because then, then we have a rookie class like we had this past year where eight, nine, ten guys come in and play fantastic. Well, there's something wrong with being harsh on them because that's exactly what the executives are doing. Mm-hmm. When, they're, when they're rolling these guys under the microscope on an assembly line, they've watched them several times in person in college, a bunch more on TV. Now, once we get past the lottery and everybody knows where they land, so they'll have a much more realistic idea of who to be zeroing in on. You know, they'll, they'll pick four or five guys if you're anywhere from the middle to the end of the lottery. And if you're up at number one or number two, you obviously pick two guys. They're going to look at these guys every way possible. They're going to interview them. They're going to interview people who have interviewed them. They're going to do background checks. I don't think there's anything wrong with being harsh. Uh, I think it becomes a point 
the only way you get to being too harsh is if you're focusing on what guys cannot do uh, while ignoring what they can do. As long as there's a balanced conversation, if people want to point out the two things that John Wall cannot do, I sure better hear the 25 things he can do because this guy <laughs> this guy has a chance to be a terrific pro player. What, what, what guys, when you look at the teams that, that are going to be picking in, a, in the lottery, what team do you think needs that number one pick the most? I, I, I kind of think I kind of think it's the Pacers, man. When I look, the the Pacers are one of the few teams where I just look at that roster and I just think, like they don't even seem like a couple years away from really competing. A lot of the other bad teams, they have like some young talent. The Pacers just seem like they need something new and 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 fresh to to sort of rejigger that franchise. I think that's an interesting perspective, sort of that that fresh start. And you're right, that's a great thought with the Pacers. But if you ask me who really needs it, I think about that from an emotional standpoint as far as a need. Because once, if you're looking at number one through, you know, number eight, nine, or ten, and throwing Utah out of there because they're in there only because we have the Knicks pick. But once you get past that Toronto-Houston group of teams that you say these guys realistically are playoff teams, talent-wise there's a lot of people pretty close. As bad as the Nets were, so much of their wreckage at the start of the season was because of injuries. I don't know that there's really that much difference between the Nets and the Timberwolves and some of the other teams. So for actual need, I look at it emotionally, and boy, don't the Wizards need it. The mm. Wizards need yeah. it, and, yeah. and, the, and the Nets need it, just because uh, it was difficult seasons for both for different reasons. But when you talk about people that need a little bit of positive energy going their way, um, the Nets would be one of those other interesting choices because they have Devin Harris, who has played well in the past at point guard. But that's the kind of thing that you say, all right, free agents, we've got a lot of money, plus we've got the number one pick in the in the draft coming in. Then it gets really interesting. The Nets could be, the Nets could really be looking pretty roster wise if they end up getting that first pick because you know they have Devin Harris, who you know I, I, I like enough. You know I don't I don't think he's exceptional but you know he's, he's a good young ball player and then they have of course Brooke Lopez who I think is I we probably all agree is probably gonna be you know perennial all-star or multiple all-star have a multiple all-star kind of career um and then they would then they would have the number one pick and money to go and pursue some you know somebody with a with a max deal I mean yeah the the lottery could really help put them on the map map quickly well, I, I love the dilemma. I, I love the dilemma, Scott, because I think the teams we mentioned, you know, New Jersey, you talk about Utah, New Orleans, so many of these teams have a, a point guard established already. Do you t- run the risk of upsetting what you already have and take a John Wall, or do you go Evan Turner? Uh, or do you go somebody else even who maybe may may make some noise in this process between now and draft? Now, that, the draft is always so full of the unknown for a lot of people, that I think it adds so much, diff- you know, so many different uh, levels of intrigue to this process. And like I said, you got it caked on the playoffs and the finals and everything else. We don't get a rest. I mean, I know you won't get a rest. You'll be flying back and forth across the country and, you know, watching playoff games, doing pre-draft stuff. You don't get a break between now and the draft, do you? Not really, but that's okay because this is the fun time. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. As much as much as you're putting in long hours, I mean, let's face it, we could be working for a living. <laughs> <laughs> right. Not too loud now. Not too loud. <laughs> <laughs> don't let it, don't let it get around that we've got a pretty sweet gig here. But yeah. uh, it, I would put it this way: it's long hours, but this is the funnest time of all. I love the playoffs. I think that everybody agrees that that this is the time when uh, all the excitement is happening. Uh, now the draft will really be picking up once we get the lottery and find out the order and start to zero in on more specifically, because right now we have to have a general conversation. We're going to know a lot more moving forward once the lottery is set. And then, uh, obviously, it's not even going to slow down from there because this is the summer of LeBron. So we're going to go right from the draft into the craziest free agent period ever. What an amazing oh. time to be an NBA fan right now. Yeah. I think I think I think June I think June and July is is it is, is you know, gonna be probably the most memorable summer in quite some time. It, it, there's just there's no way with there's no way with all these teams with, with with cap space and all these free agents out there that could very could could likely move. There's 
there's no way that this summer ends up being, you know, blah and a yawn. Even if guys stay put, that to me, that's still big news. No, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah, there's always been moves every summer. That's nothing new, but I think it's not overstating it to say that we may be looking at one of the most league-altering couple months coming up mm-hmm. when you look at June and July this is not only going to impact the immediate, but we're talking long-term implications between the draft and the free agency, and obviously the end of the playoffs as well, because what happens from the conference finals on will dictate what teams do as far as feeling the need to be making some moves going forward. Whoever loses in the conference finals or in the NBA finals probably isn't going to want to sit stand pat. They're going to say, we've got to make some moves to make that next step. That's, that's a great point. Listen, Scott Howard Cooper, take a take a quick power nap, and then I need you up by three o'clock uh, local time here, so you can uh, help me cut through this traffic on the uh, the five or wherever we got to go to get to Staples Center, man. Let's let's get down there early so we can scout out some good seats. I'll be there. All right, thank you so much, Scott. All right, Scott. Vince, I I don't mean to to toot our own horn at NBA.com, but do we or do we not have an embarrassment of riches when you talk about all the different in-house people we have that are experts on this league? I mean, that have been covering it for, you know, years and years. I mean, you know, you're talking about Sean Sean Powell and Scott Howard Cooper. They got, like, some ridiculous, you know, 60 years of NBA, you know, experience, you know, between them. We got got a lot of knowledge in the Turner fam. Yeah, man. I thought they. I mean, I thought they both raised such such uh, great points about what's going on in the playoffs, what's going on in the in the draft process, the lottery, and then we. I mean, we. You hit that last point about free agency, which that's just a big seven hundred pound, you know, gorilla sitting in the back of the room that every everybody's going to be paying attention to in the next you know few weeks. So. I, man, I don't. We're gonna start doing this more often. I don't know that once. A, I don't know that once a week is gonna get it. We gotta talk to Micah. Gotta talk to Micah Hart, our, our super producer, and uh, see if we can get Clint Hawkins, our master of control. See if we can get him some OT because we gotta. We gotta crank this thing up more than once a week. And especially, especially now that like some actual basketball is gonna be played. Remember last week, you know, L. <laughs> <laughs> L. A. wanted to go ahead and take care of take care of Utah in the sweep. Orlando wanted to take care of Atlanta in the sweep. You know. Uh, Phoenix barely let uh, San Antonio win a game, you know. So like there was, it was hardly any basketball last week. Well, you know, now even though Thursday and Friday there aren't any games, but you know we're we're getting back to a normal schedule of playoff basketball. Yeah, I, listen, I'm not complaining. Um, I could be doing other things, believe me. I got a honeydew <laughs> list as long as your uh, left leg at the house right now. So I'm, <laughs> as long as I'm on the road, you know, as long as we out here doing games and doing stuff. I'm I'm in the clear, man, well, and, I, and I appreciate that. So and you know, so let me ask you, like, what? I'm not. You don't have to predict the winner if you don't want to, because I know you like to you like to punk out on me. But I, what do you, <laughs> what do you, what do you think is going to happen tonight? Man, I, I think the Lakers win tonight, and I think the Lakers win this series. Um, and unless I'm totally wrong, the only way I see it swinging in the other other direction is if Phoenix, if the Suns bench comes out and. So changes the tempo of games, and the Lakers are not, a, you know, capable of responding to that. That's the only way I see Phoenix having a chance to win this series. Do you? Are you worried? You know, are you worried about? Are you worried about Bynum's knee? Are you worried about Kobe needing to get his knee drained? Any of that? No, I mean, that stuff no, I mean, I, no, I mean I, and I put something on the blog obviously this morning on the Hangtime blog about that bright and early uh, about the Los Angeles Times report about Kobe getting his knee drained. Um, you know, he's he's obviously going. to play with bumps and bruises and, you know, whatever, you know, ailments they have this time of year after so many years of playing deep into the playoffs, this dude's a warrior. I mean, he's going to go out there with that knee wrapped up and give you the business as best he can no matter what. So I'm not worried about him. He's, he hasn't had, you know, I know we, we roasted LeBron on the tip end last week and a lot of people have been taking him apart about not showing up or what have you. Kobe already had those moments in his career where you could question his toughness mm-hmm. and question his mettle. You cannot do that anymore. So if there's a game tonight at Staples Center, not only am I going to be there, not only is Scott Howard Cooper going to be there, we know Kobe's going to show up. Yeah, we and, know he's going to bring it. But, so I'm not worried about him. You know, and, and I'm definitely not worried about him uh, bringing it, you know, in terms of me questioning, you know, his, his toughness. I know Kobe's going to be there. 
But, hey, man, sometimes certain things just don't allow you to perform up to the level that you would like. And I, so all I'm saying is that I just I want to see what he's I want to see what he's looking like. You know, it's you know, getting a knee drain is, is not the end of the world. You know what I mean? But it, it, it that's not he's never had this issue at this point of the season before. This is this is something, you know, that, that this is something new that he's dealing with. You know, so I just I want to I want to see I want to see how he's rolling. Yeah, that's, I mean, uh, if you look at the hang time blow, that's why I titled the post All Eyes on Kobe's Knee. A little shout-out to, you know, the rap world. And, you know, also the fact that everybody will be looking. Everybody's going to be watching Kobe tonight to see how serious that knee is. Because if it's, if it's more serious than, than, than they, you know, you might hope, then, yeah, it becomes a factor in the series. It really becomes a factor in terms of who wins the championship. Because if you're looking at how these, these teams match up, the Lakers are the only team that I, I imagine from the West that could beat either one of the teams in the Eastern Conference. Absolutely. I don't see Phoenix Absolutely. beating Boston or Orlando. No, no, not at all. I mean, yeah, did you, if, if, if you want a competitive championship series, then you need to turn into a Lakers fan and hope that they get out the West. Because, yeah, I mean, I just – I see Phoenix I – I, I could see Phoenix getting to the championship and then just – not getting embarrassed, but like humiliated a little bit, especially if a, if if a rough. I'm serious, man. Especially if a roughneck team like Boston gets there. Bo- Boston, they're kind of getting that intimidation thing back, man. Where they're they're just really they're locking people down and they're doing what they want, you know. And they would be able to do what they wanted to against Phoenix. So uh, you better turn into a Lakers fan, you know, out out here, people, and hope that LA gets to this championship series. Yeah, we're going to see. I mean, and I, I don't know what the difference is between getting embarrassed and getting humiliated. They both sound bad to me. Yeah, they're both bad. They're definitely they both, both bad. Awful. <laughs> but, you know, I, I feel what you're saying. Like I said, we're going to be watching these games, Vince, because we got to see how all this plays out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and obviously the Hangtime Podcast crew will roll back in next week with some thoughts as well on, on how things have gone through the first half of the final round. So, we appreciate you being with us. we got to give some major props to uh, Sean Powell of NBA.com, Scott Howard Cooper of NBA. I'm both joining us, bringing the phone, bringing all that good information to you. Uh, Micah Hart, our producer, Clint Hawkins, the man in charge of all the controls. I'm Sekou Smith from the Hangtime Blog, and Vince Thomas, my number one partner in crime as always. VT, keep the home fire. It's cool for me now. I'll be back. I'll be back. Okay. <laughs>